Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. YouTube. Um, but it wasn't really, of course, back then and now there, there are great programs on YouTube where you can watch the series and it like naturally builds your skills. But what I did was I, like I said, I was a big petty fan at that time from years ago with the Super Bowl. I just said, I want to learn that song. And I learned it. And it was things like that. So I learned chords and melodies and licks as I went based on the songs I wanted to learn. So that kind of kept my interest because there was never a time where I was sitting there, okay, I have to do this scale that I don't want to do, but I know in the long term it'll help me. I, I wasn't thinking like that. It was just like, right now I want to learn American Girl, so I will. And I, I think there are pros and cons to that way of thinking, but so far I've, I've really enjoyed how it worked out. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a crossover episode. This is Perfectly Good Podcast. This is Set Lusting Bruce. This is all kinds of goodness. I am Jesse Jackson. Joining me tonight is my sister in all things Springsteen and Hyatt tonight, Sylvan Groth. Yeah, I'm just so excited to be in the room with this opportunity to meet someone I've been a fan of. I think it's been at least five years since I first saw a video and we name drop you all the time on the perfectly good podcast. So it is such a joy to see your face and be able to ask you some questions tonight. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Sylvan, go ahead. You're doing great. Introduce our guest. I am not the professional when it comes to the world beyond John Hyatt, but Jake Thistle, as I said, I first saw a video of this I assume you were maybe 14 at the time. I was um, 12. 12. Okay. Kid standing next to my hero, John Hyatt, playing John's most famous song, Have a Little Faith in Me. And I was thinking, what is happening? How on earth does this person have the nerve, not just to stand there, but to stand there and play the signature song? And you nailed it. You just blew it out of the park. And I, 
didn't know what to expect as I started the video. By the time the video ended, I was bawling tears and just so amazed at your poise and your musicianship. You're playing guitar on this classic piano song and it sounded great. And since then you've shared multiple videos of you covering John Hyatt songs. You have fantastic taste in music because every time you post something, whether it's John, whether it's Bruce, whether it's Tom Petty or someone, it's like, oh, I forgot how much I love that song. And hearing your voice, it's all so nice and fresh. And I've also been keeping track of your originals. I think you definitely have something to say and I can't wait to see where you go with it. So, yeah, that's me babbling like a fan. That's my brand. That's <laughs> now okay. bring it back to my brother, Jesse, who actually knows how to ask yeah. an intelligent question. I always like to start at the beginning, but one thing that struck me, Jake, is you were talking about how young you were. Marty Stewart started at 10 years old. He mm -hmm. was playing with Lester Flat at 10 years old, right? And I, you come, that's, you come from, there is a long tradition of gifted musicians starting young. I always like to start at the beginning, talk about where you grew up and was there a lot of music in the household and how quickly did you know you wanted to make music? I always think of it in two parts. When I was three years old, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers played the Super Bowl halftime show. And my parents let me stay up for half the game thinking, all right, maybe he'd like football or something, whatever. We're here in New Jersey. And I, for whatever reason, it just completely mesmerized me. So from that moment on, when I was three, I was turning four in about two months. I just really fell in love with that type of music. And so I'd go on YouTube and and sure enough, that would recommend me to other likes sounding artists and things like that, that just really caught my attention. And so for years, that's how I did it when I was super young. So I guess there was music in the house, but I was usually the the one putting it on. Um, and then long story short, when I turned nine, uh, my, my father's friend uh, who he works with has a son who's a little bit older than me. He's about maybe seven or eight years older than me. And he he's a still a, a very gifted guitar player. He lives down in Nashville now. His name's Max Blois Rossetti. And he had a guitar. It was his first guitar and he gave it to me. And oh. when I was maybe four or five, I, I got it. And it, it made noise, which is basically the if you're a toddler and a four and five-year-old and you have something that makes noise, you've really struck a gold mine. So I didn't know how to play it, but it made noise. And that's what I liked. And then I turned seven and eight and I, I forgot about it completely. People who grow out of liking things that make noise. Yeah. And suddenly he's getting older and he's starting to play really well. And his mother goes, we want that guitar back because it's his first guitar. We're sentimental about it. And at that point I was nine and I said, yeah, sure. I don't care. Just take it, whatever. I, I don't need it. And they said, thank you. And they felt, you know, so bad they were taking this guitar away that I really wasn't thinking about. They they replaced it with a nicer guitar. And Aww. then I was like, this is too nice a guitar for me to not know how to play. So that day he taught me my first couple chords. And then I mainly learned off YouTube from then. And so that two part of me discovering music when I was three and discovering I enjoyed playing it at nine. And it just snowballed from there. I was playing, I played my first open mic, I think nine or 10 months later. And I don't know, I haven't had time to look back. I've just been trying to do it as much as I can. So Jake did, and I, I don't want to make this seem to make light of the struggle because I'm 64 and I've never taken time to learn the guitar. That's one of my regrets. Everyone's on Twitter like, what would you tell your 10-year-old self? Learn to play the guitar and listen to more Bruce Springsteen earlier. But, <laughs> and discover John Hyatt early. Though I discovered Hyatt pretty early. Was it easy did it feel natural when you started playing that guitar? 
and really started learning the chords or was I'm sure, it? I'm sure if you asked me at the time, I would say no. But looking yeah. back, I can't think of a time where I was ever frustrated enough to say, oh, hell with this. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm sure any friend or relative that was around me at that time would be laughing at me saying that. But I really can't pinpoint a time. Um, I did it a, a way that I, I think was perfect for me. I, I mainly learned off YouTube. Um, but it wasn't really... Of course, back then and now, there there are great programs on YouTube where you can watch the series and it like naturally builds your skills. But what I did was I, like I said, I was a big Petty fan at that time from years ago with the Super Bowl. I just said, I want to learn that song and I learned it. And it was things like that. So I learned chords and melodies and licks as I went based on the songs I wanted to learn. So that kind of kept my interest because there was never a time where I was sitting there. Okay, I have to do this scale that I don't want to do. But I know in the long term, it'll help me. I, I wasn't thinking like that. It was just like, right now, I want to learn American Girl, so I will. And I, I think there are pros and cons to that way of thinking. But so far, I've, I've really enjoyed how it worked out. So a couple things, and I promise I'm going to give Sylvan a chance to talk. Um, <laughs> but two things that remind me of that. One, Penn, tell, Penn from Penn & Teller mm-hmm. talks about that that YouTube makes people better magicians because they don't know they're not supposed to be able to do that. They see something mm-hmm. on a YouTube video and they go, oh, it looks like it's possible. So they learn to do it. It's only after the fact someone tells them that's a really hard move. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I thought of, you hear Bruce in his biography and little Steven talking that they would stare at the guitar players on TV to try to see. And when they went and saw people play live, that's what they would do. They would stare at their guitar playing. They would stare at how they were moving their hands, what chords they were using, how they were strumming. So in a lot of ways, you're just continuing that long tradition of watching and learning. And then Bruce saying, going back to his house and trying to duplicate what he saw. Yeah, absolutely. I I had the benefit of taking that a step further and being able to slow down videos and rewind videos as much as I could and zoom in and stuff that that I think really helped me. And I'm sure Bruce is probably a little pissed he didn't get to do (laughs) on the TVs back then, Um, because I know I I certainly would be. Uh, But yeah, concerts are one of my all time. It's it's something I I love to do and and go watch. Uh, And uh, despite the fact that they're genuinely one of my favorite things to go to. I, I also never fully just sit back and enjoy the music. I'm always hunched forward trying to squint and look at the stage and be like, all right, why do you play it like that? Why should I play it like that? What's the difference? And, and trying to decipher it that way. And and even a step further, I've been really fortunate to work with some people that have really influenced me and, and some of the people that were playing in those YouTube videos I, I've gotten to work with and really look at them up, co- up close and pick their brains and things like that. And I think that's really helped me along the way as well. But yeah, I, I've learned pretty much everything I know from the stage, whether it's watching or being on it. There are TV showrunners that talk about that if they run a drama, they can't watch a drama on TV because they, why did they do the act break there? Why did they tease that? What did they do? What are they doing? Or the same, so they'll end up watching comedies. Or if they're a showrunner on a comedy, I've got to watch a reality show. I've got to watch because it's hard to separate the art, right? That you, it's hard to turn that 
creative brain off and go, as you just said, why did he do it that way? Why are they doing it? What's that set list? Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built 
hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Sylvan, you got something? I'm just really amazed because I think you are being rather modest, Jake, that you don't realize that what you do is pretty special, that there are many people who can watch YouTube for years and years and still not be able to pick out a C chord and a ukulele, and you're talking to one of them. Um, But I have all sorts of questions. I guess one of which is they always talk about three chords in the truth. Did you start with a particular set of chords or you said that you wanted to play a particular song? So do you remember what that first one was that you really got your hands around and what chords were involved? Yeah, my first song was I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty, nice. um, which was the only music I was listening to at the time, really. And that guy, Max, who gave me, I guess, technically the first guitar and then my real first guitar, he came with the, with the guitar and he taught me, he came, like they had thought ahead, they really thought of everything. So he showed up with the guitar and like a chord chart for that song, nice. um, which yeah, it really did didn't mean anything to me because I, I didn't know how to play, but he was like, all right, this is an E minor. But yeah, so I guess the first ones I learned are E minor, D, and G. And and occasionally there's a C thrown in there too. So that's really what I started with. And you had a little bit of in-person tutorage. Was that really the only time that you worked with someone in person versus doing the YouTube videos? Did you have, have a professional guitar teacher? I never had any long-term in-person lessons. There have been people here and there that have have been nice enough to help me out for various things, but it it was a little bit more, and that's what I really took out of the lessons and liked. It was a little bit more of people I looked up to that I could just sit down and be like, all right, what's going on here? Can you explain me why we do this and what that is? And it was, I never really followed like a, a lesson plan, which I think helped me at an earlier age decide what I wanted to do. Because I think if I had sat there at nine with a book, and and it was like, okay, you, the, the type of thing that a lot of piano players do, we're like, okay, you start with Mary Had a Little Lamb and you work your way to Mozart. I think I would have jumped off that train at some point. So I think it was just that trial and error of, of I treated working with musicians in person the same way I treated YouTube in terms of, hey, can you help me out with this? Everything, I know nothing, do me a favor, that type of thing. So very task oriented and taking little bites out of what you're, like when you say that what you wanted to do, was it playing a particular song or did you have this image of someday I'm going to be on a stage performing my own music for three hours the way Bruce does? What was that goal at the point that you were really getting motivated and spending a lot of time doing it? I, I wouldn't say I was, I, I never really had a plan in mind like that, but in the same way, I never really had it in mind that it was a hobby either. I kind of, I never thought either way about, I want to do this. This is very early on. Eventually, I probably around sure. the time I played with John, I, I probably had a better idea of it, but nine or 10, like, I never really thought of this is going to be my job forever, or this is, I'm going to do this on the weekends. It was just like, this is what I'm doing now. And I'm going to do it till I don't want to anymore. And I, I still have that mindset. It's just snowballed and I still want to do it, which is good. Yeah. And you've always impressed me the way that you present yourself that you were inviting people into your music in a way that not all performers do. And I think it can definitely be true when we are talking about communicating over the computer screen, 
that I just love how you talk about, oh, I decided to learn this one and this is why I love this song. And then when you perform, there's a real intimacy to the way that you approach a song that I really admire. So I wanted to tell you that. And I was wondering if that was something that you see in yourself, if it was something intentional or how do you decide what kind of performer you're going to be, especially when you're sitting there with a camera in your room? Yeah, I think it's just a matter of with the camera in the room. I think that it's certainly that's a, a slight you need a, a bit to be slightly delusional to to look into a camera and be like, yes, I am looking at a hundred thousand people right now. So I, I'm sure there's there was a little bit of COVID insanity that came with that to make that as genuine as it was. But I, that was that type of time where I was just really looking at the camera and, and doing things. I think that really helped me with my interactions and things. But I used to just go through phases. And then when I was in the phase, that's what I liked. And and that type of performer is what I wanted to be. So when I, I still do it to this day, but now that I'm older, I, it revolves a little bit more around just like me. So Being, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. So finish your thought and then I'll ask. No, I'm just going to say, as okay. opposed to being a 12-year-old and loving this John Hyatt song so much that in my next video, I'm wearing a fedora. That's a cool look. So you mentioned that you, less than a year after you got your official guitar, not your first one, but your second one, your first real guitar, you were performing on stage. To many people, performing live is something that is scares them. Did you... Why, where do you think that urge to perform live came from? It was just from a matter of, yeah, at that time in my life, I'd never even, I don't think I'd seen a concert in person yet. If I oh, had, wow. it had been, it, it had been something that I was interested in, but it wasn't like a, one of the Mount Rushmore musicians that I would go see, which I've seen a lot since. But yeah, to me, it was just one of those things where that's, I was in the mindset of especially following people like Petty and Hyatt and all those guys that and Bruce and, and those guys that had just been around for so long. That was just the thing people did. So if I looked and I said, okay, I play guitar now. So what do guitar players do? They go play in front of people. So I think that's really what it came from. And it wasn't like I was selling tickets or anything like that. I played an open mic at, it was this place called Mama's Cafe Bocce in Hackettstown, New Jersey, which was a little bit of a hike because I'm over in Bergen County. But that was where Max, who gave me my first guitar, lived and his mother had some connections there. And said, okay, yeah, you can go play. So I did three songs and it was a great time. I, I did it. It was, they were on Mondays. So I did it a whole bunch of Mondays. And then they had another one that they did on Thursdays. And I just branched out from there. Do you remember the first three songs you did? Yes, I did. You Wreck Me by Tom Petty. Handle With Care by the Traveling Wilburys, which is still Tom Petty. So I cheated a little bit. And then I did Who Says You Can't Go Home by Bon Jovi, which I don't think I've played since. <laughs> I love that, the idea, right? You hear that sometimes, I didn't know any better. If I've learned to play the guitar, what guitars do, they perform live. Okay, I'm going to perform live. So when I have a Springsteen fan or a John Hyatt fan, I will, often, I will ask the question, can you remember when you first discovered Bruce or John and what about their music spoke to you? Obviously, Petty was first to you. That mm -hmm. Super Bowl really seared your soul. But Bruce in Jersey, that he's in the water. So that makes <laughs> sense. So I'd love to hear your Bruce story, but I'm more even fascinated is John Hyatt is not a 
a name that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. I still get people like, you you do a what kind of podcast? What's John Hyatt? Who? So I'm curious, you, either one, but especially when did you discover John and what about his music spoke to you? So John, he's actually a really funny case because I always make the joke because a lot of times, and I totally understand it, being 19 and, and liking people that were coming up in the 70s, everyone says, oh, you, your parents got you into this music. Mm -hmm. I usually wrap around the joke and say, no, I got them into the music because <laughs> I dragged them to their first Bruce concert. Nice. In 2017. It was like one of those things. But I'm going to I'm gonna excuse you just for a minute. I bet the other thing, you must be an old soul, Jake. Oh right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've heard that once or twice as well. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but so I, I have to give credit where it's due, though. Uh, my father is a big John Hyatt fan. And so it was always played around the house. Uh, he could tell the story better uh, than me. But essentially, uh you just called me an old soul. Now I'm going to like butcher this old concept of something. But he was a part of the subscription that every month they sent cassettes. Um, BMI. Yeah, Columbia yeah, exactly. Record so, Cover or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Wh whatever yeah. it was. And he ordered something and they sent him the wrong thing and they happened to send him walk on. Nice. And he's whatever. I guess I'll listen to it anyway. It's cheaper than sending it back. You got to pay for everything and go to the post office. So he listened to it and fell in love with it and, and went back. And I'll give credit where it's due there. That was always playing around the house. Um, I still think one of the, like the, my earliest memory of hearing music was probably something from the Tiki Bars open record. Cause I came out or that came out about two, three years before I came out. Oh my and, gosh. So you were born yes. in 2004? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that was going around when I was born, he was playing all that stuff. So I remember all the lilacs and everything like that. By yes. the way, I just had a guest on Set Lessing Bruce, and we were talking about Bruce's doing these cover albums, right? This mm -hmm. cover album. And I said, look, I, I want Bruce to do a John song so bad, right? And he's he oh, yeah. Bruce song. Yeah, give the E Street Band doing the Tiki Bars open. How cool would that be? So yeah, I <laughs> thought that's funny. So you did, your dad discovered that Bruce is in the water, when and is it COVID related when you started filming you performing because we will we will smile that when we're doing up our covers we'll go and this is a very young jake <laughs> so you have a history out there so when yeah. did you decide to start just publishing you singing to the camera my first really video out there we were doing my family used to do, I, I don't want to say elaborate because that puts a, a bit greater expectation, but unique Christmas cards. Nice. So okay, uh, the one they always bring up when I was like three and they had like the big sleep, it was the big Christmas. And so I'm like a three-year-old and like a fedora and my typewriter in front of me, like I'm a detective and, and everything like that. So anyway, when I picked up guitar, it was maybe July or August or something. Yeah, I think it was June or July. And then came around to be Christmas. Like, this is Jake's new interest. I don't think they knew it was going to, my, my interest six years from that had been Indiana Jones. So whatever it is, I don't know if they knew it was going to last this long, but it was essentially like, let's do a Christmas card where it's, oh, open it up for a Jake song. And then it was a QR code and you went to my YouTube channel and, and it was like a, a Christmas song that I wrote. Nice. I, I, nice. I pray it's not up there anymore, but it, it probably is. But then that kind of started the precedent of like, all right. I can play and there's a camera. So I, I think my second video or maybe my first three or four, again, I pray they're not up there anymore, but they probably are. 
I'm in front of a Christmas tree because like we filmed them all on the same day. And then I just kept doing it. And that was pretty much it. And then at some point we started the Facebook page and then we had the opportunity to post in Spring Nuts and John Hyatt fans and everything like that. And that, then it started to be people who were resonating with them. And then I just kept it up. For the longest time, I, I had a calendar. I get, I asked for it for Christmas every year, just like a regular calendar. And then on January 1st, I would take a pen and I'd have a This Day in Music book. And I just write, okay, this is his birthday and he passed away on this day. And this is the fifth anniversary of this record coming out or whatever. And that's why I would put up a lot of those videos is because it was the 50th anniversary of this or that. And, and that was really how I did it for a long time. Because that's exactly the question I was going to ask is how do you decide what song you're going to cover? And I love that creative way of randomly picking. That's pretty cool. Sylvan, you got my chops up too, because if I hadn't done that, it probably would have been since I was nine Tom Petty songs every day and then John Hyatt and Bruce songs. And so especially it helped when I was younger and I, and I really needed to practice like specific, obviously I still practice all the time, but practice specific songs that I was doing knowing I don't remember his exact, knowing that August, whatever is Mark Knopfler's birthday and being only playing for two years, like, all right, it's coming June. You better start practicing that Dire Straits song because you don't want it to be a train wreck when you go to filming. So it kept me on my toes like that and challenged me to do other stuff because I knew it was coming. That's a very creative way to self-motivate because that is still all coming from you. And again, (laughs) I am in just such awe of anyone who can make any music out of any instrument because believe me, I have tried. And that's what I think makes me a really big music fan. My next question is, obviously, you have put in your requisite thousand hours or whatever it's taken to have some virtuosity. Like, how do you decide how to carve out the time that you want to devote to the music versus all those other things that you've got going on in your life? I have the benefit of just really enjoying it. So I really don't think I've practiced a day in my life because I just go and I sit and certainly there's been frustrating moments, but Every day I just pick up a guitar and what I play that day is what I played. And so I I always try to play in a way that advances me somewhat. And I I think obviously there's still so much work to go, especially in terms of lead playing and things like that. But I I have a lot of fun with it. I never considered it to be work as much as just this is my hobby. Just I would get better at playing a video game or whatever it be. You really reminded me of John there because he talks about he doesn't feel right if he hasn't picked up a guitar in a while. Is it that same kind of itch that you just, you need it to be right with yourself? Yeah. And unfortunately I'm I'm a freak about the guitars and like how, okay, if I haven't played an electric in a while, it feels bad. And I just drop the acoustic and at school, I keep, I always keep an electric and an acoustic just in case. If I can fit the keyboard, that's coming too, but I can't. (laughs) One of the things, yeah. One of the things I love is in a recent interview, Jason Isbell talked about that he, he never had to push to practice the guitar. It's like Mm -hmm. it, it, like he was talking about COVID, he had to stay engaged with his family. He says, but it wasn't punishment for me to sit in a room and just play the guitar all day. (laughs) That's what I would have done regardless. So I love that idea of pushing yourself, but just, it's just fun for you. It's what you love doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There have been certainly times where, and, and I think this kind of goes back to going on YouTube and learning the songs I wanted to. There have been times of frustration with, certain things I was learning, but it was never with the music or the instrument itself. Yeah. Are there songs that you've wanted to 
perform on your YouTube channel and you went, eh, that one's for another day? Oh, yeah, all the time. Especially, it's especially with, at this point, I, I play a lot of, especially in this room when I'm solo, it's mainly chords and playing now. Usually what trips me up these days is like the emotion, like some days... If I have a, if I have in mind, I want to do a Roy Orbison song or something, there goes, my, if I have in mind, I want to do, there goes my miracle, but yeah. it's more of a terms of my surrender day. Yeah. You know, I'm not <laughs> yeah. building out, there goes my miracle. If I want to just be talking about the man in the railroad tracks and vice versa, whatever it is. And, and that's how it goes a lot with my writing as well. So that's the big thing. Certainly there are things I've, I thought would be cool if I were good enough to play them. The one I always go back to is I'm not a good enough piano player at this point to play scenes from an Italian restaurant only for that one freaking really fast part. Yeah. Know? I can play everything around it just mediocre enough to get by. But <laughs> once he goes there, there's just no faking it, unfortunately. So, so is one... that your next goal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those phone tabs you just keep running. It's just in the back of my head for years. Just like one of these days. I don't actually practice it enough to actually get my crap together, but I hope one of these days it'll just magically happen. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll write your own. Yeah, that so, might be the way. <laughs> so I, I'm going to come back to, I'd love to talk more about Bruce and you've done a couple of covers from Letter to You, which made me very happy because I love that album. But let's flip to your music. You've done a lot of working you've done some covers when did you decide you wanted to start making unique music from your own voice i don't i think it was a similar thing as playing live in terms of it's just okay tom has this song because he wrote that song and so does bruce and obviously john and i'm really lucky to have such idols that who are better songwriters than the ones that we've just talked about really so yeah uh, from an early age i was very casually writing just because it's what i thought people did. I'm not really sure. There was certainly a time where I sat down and said, okay, I should get serious about this and, and start writing songs I actually like. I'm not exactly sure when that point was. I probably could go back to my old songwriting notebooks and like literally find the date that I was like, okay, let me get my stuff together and, and really start writing. But I, I don't know it really. But yeah, I've been writing for um, pretty much as long as I can remember playing I started writing and it just it, at first it was just a way to stay creative and and, and stay doing things I like and it, it just evolved and then when I realized I had enough songs for a record I had thought about that and didn't oh maybe I don't have time whatever and then the world shut down and suddenly I had hours and days and weeks and months in my lap so that's how that first record came to be. I, I would love to hear more about that because there's a movie titled thing called Love which is about the early days or I guess middle days of the Nashville songwriting scene. And mm -hmm. because it was before everyone had a music studio on their office desk, there is a scene where they want to do a demo and they say, oh, we're going to start recording at three. And they say a.m. because that's the only time that the struggling musicians could actually get into the studio. So the idea that you had those tools just ready for you when you had some songs ready that must have been really exciting to think that you could actually turn these ideas into something tangible like how did you decide that you were ready and were you at all nervous about just throwing them out there on the internet where everyone in the world can comment on them did you share them 
privately with a few people first? It was interesting how it all came together because I think in, in some iteration of every song from that first album had been put out before just as a, a normal Facebook or YouTube video. Um, Got it. They had been played, especially that album, because those songs, I forget who told me this, but someone who'd been in the industry said, you never judge an artist by their first album because they had the first however many years of their life to write it. You right. have to pay attention to their second album because they had seven months, something mm -hmm. like that. So that's the case with me. Some of those songs, that album came out in 2020 in December, and some were written in August of that year, and, and some were probably written in 2016, something like that. And obviously it'd been changed. But yeah, I, I decided it was time because there had been rumblings with some people I knew and was working with before the pandemic of maybe a EP in the studio. And I was working with some people just throwing out ideas. Nothing was written in stone. Um, and we weren't sure if it was going to happen or not happen. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, okay, it's definitely not going to happen, which I, I think I learned so much from the, the down the line era of my life that I'm very grateful it happened that way. But uh, yeah, especially that I was in my sophomore year of high school. So that it happened in March and we, that was the time March to June, no one had any idea how to teach us. It was no one's fault, but we didn't, we got worksheets in the morning and like most of them, the history worksheets were just like, read this. And then there's no way to prove if we did or didn't. Like I had so much time, like I just, I, I'm trying to emphasize like how gross the amount of time I had was. And then finally, when we, when I came back from my junior year, we were still virtual but it was a little bit more structured, but I was still getting out at 12 PM. So there was just so much time and a lot of thinking about what was next. I had people, other people who had followed me on Facebook and Instagram and, and all this stuff. They were also bored and saying, Hey, do you have any music? You should release something. So I bought a, a board that's you guys are, I'm hearing you through right now. It's sitting right here. It's just, I recorded it like Nebraska, except the songs aren't as good as those, but I just, I sat in this room. <laughs> And to be fair, that is a pretty high, yes. <laughs> yeah. I recorded it like Bra Nebraska in the way of not the songs being good, but just the recording quality not being good. That's what I'll say. No, but I, it, it just seemed like it was the right time. And, and it took me forever because I had, sure, I had written songs, but I had never thought about arranging them. I'd never thought about, I learned bass really to play on that record, but it was like a really long process and arranging these songs, doing them over and over again. And I laugh now because... Now that I'm signed to the label and I have the band and I have to give demos to producers and stuff, I, I now do my demos how I did that record and it takes me maybe four hours, whereas it took me eight months to do down the line. So many more questions have occurred to me now. <laughs> Can I monopolize him, Jesse? Yes, go ahead. So what made you decide to sign with a label? I know a lot of people of your generation think, no, we don't need a label anymore. Why would we want something in between us and the people listening to our music? And what have they done for you that you have felt was beneficial? Yeah, I, I'm really excited to be working with them. It's this, it's a label called Golden Retriever Records. And it was started by this guy, Joe Riccatelli, who he started it when he was, he was president of RCA for a while. And he started this record label that was like a smaller branch for independent artists. And then after a couple of years, he decided, I don't want to send 8 million emails a day and, and do this. So he retired just to run this label now. He actually, he heard me through... Uh, I was on Tom Cunningham's radio show, uh, Springsteen on Sunday, 
and I did uh, Incident on 57th Street. So that's what he heard. And then he got my info from Tom and he, he'd known Tom from their radio promotion days and uh, nice. sent an email. And uh, they're based uh, about 20 minutes away from me in Montclair, New Jersey. And so I went with a guitar up to the office and I played him, I think, two or three songs. And those were the two of those three songs were the first ones we cut. And yeah, it just seemed like a really natural thing. They're, they do a lot of, they wear so many hats at Golden Retriever. So they're, they do label services, which is, I'm one of only a couple artists that are signed to their label, but they also do consulting and managing and things like that. So they have a lot of clients that take up some more energy than I would per se. He manages yeah, Tom O'Dell, who has had a, a lot of success here in the U.S. And he consults with Pitbull and Big Time Russian like, and some really incredible names. So it just, it, he, Joe and Sarah and Gabe and everybody who worked there, just they're really kind people. And they're, we hit it off immediately. So I'm really grateful to have signed with them. And they've really changed how I write and think about music. And hooking me up with the band was a, a really great step as well. What, uh, yeah, talk about the band. What is that a new experience for you, playing with a band? For sure. We started, the first song I ever cut with them was a, a song called Ghosted Road, which ended up being the first single I put out um, on Golden Retriever. And it, it's great because the guitarist, and the bassist for my for that session, they again, they were hired as session players. I needed a band and they were a band. And then we hit it off and, and we still, we play out all the time now, like the back in the studio and yeah. everything like that. But the guitarist and the bass player are in a band called Mother Hubbard together. And they're also signed to Golden Retriever. So that's how I met them. Okay. I said, Joe said, all right, we're going to take the band in to the studio. And I said, great, I don't have a band. And he goes, oh. <laughs> so he asked these guys to help. And, and they said, yes, that's uh, Nick Nella and Mike Bresky on guitar and bass, respectively. And then Mother Hubbard is great. And they, they have really cool music. And they're, for whatever reason, I don't remember what the reason was, but their drummer couldn't make it. So they got a sub. And that sub is uh, Michael Santa Cruz, who did that session with us. And I've played with him every single time since as well. And we all just hit it off. So it's always really fun to play with them. But yeah, it was certainly a new experience. And especially drums. For Down the Line, I, I had been able to think enough. That's 12 songs where I... Did acoustic guitar and bass and drums. I, I, no, I'm sorry. Acoustic guitar, bass, piano, electric guitar, everything. I'd really thought about how I wanted it, but I don't play drums. I didn't then. I still don't. So that was certainly a, a really cool thing to get with someone who knew what they were doing. Yeah. And so how did you communicate what you were looking for, not having the knowledge of, of playing yourself? Poorly. No, um, <laughs> you know, um, it was actually really great. Mike is really amazing at knowing what I want. Um, mm -hmm. which is awesome. And I really appreciate him being good at that. But yeah, we hit it off immediately. And he's been, all three of them have been really great in developing the sound and trying to figure out where we want to go and why. And so the record company then owns your masters or do you own your masters? Yeah, they own the masters, but I own the publishing and, and everything like that. So I, anything on the writing side and, and the publishing side is me. Cool. We have, you sent us the link. Thank you. But how did you end up on stage with John Hyatt? I still don't know. It was still one of those, it was one of those funny things. I had liked John Hyatt a lot. And so I don't remember if it was a birthday present or not, but whatever it was, my dad had said, Hey, we got you John Hyatt tickets. I, I would, I'm guessing it was my birthday because that was the first, that was May 1st and my birthday's at the end of March. So I bet okay. it was, but I don't remember. And it was at the SOPAC, which is the South Orange Performing Arts Center. And just for fun, because I liked playing covers, I just sent a message and said, hey, to his management, 
this is me playing have a little faith in me because I'm so excited to see John next week or, or whenever it was. I had heard that sometimes he hangs out at the tour bus, but I didn't know if that was always the case. So I just said, and if he's around out of the tour bus, I'll be there, whatever. And so they, they sent a message back and said, oh yeah, if he's up to it, he'll be out there. Very nice and- Non-committal. Yes. Yeah. Very, yeah. As you would expect a super nice management to be. Right. They're not going to make a promise John's going to yell at them for, but they were super nice. And then, so I got there and, and it was a great show. I, I'll never forget. He opened with Master Disaster and then he did Lift Up Every Stone in Audience California, which blew my mind. It still blows my mind. Those in a row are just, it pisses the songwriter off okay. that he can play those three first and then still do two hours of the best songs you've ever heard. And he came, he came out for the encore and said, there's a, there's a kid and there's a 12 year old in the audience tonight. And I'm sitting there, I can't believe there's another 12-year-old in the audience. I, I really thought I'd be here. Um, Damn it, what are the odds? Yeah, I know what he said. And his name's Jake Thistle, and if he wants to come up and play with me, he can. And so then I just ended up on stage. I don't, I wow. going back and being like, is he talking about me? And my dad's yes, he's, you're the only Jake Thistle here. So I got <laughs> up there, and uh, he handed me 1947 or 46 oh gifts which yeah. blew my mind too. That started like a quest of that lasted still is going on of me trying to find a guitar as cool as that. But yeah, and he was super nice and he just said, all right, what key? And I said, okay, higher than you for sure. Cause I was <laughs> so young and we put a capo on and we did it. And it was so much fun. And then I talked to him outside the bus for a while after too. And he was sweet and just genuinely one of the nicest people I've ever met. And, but yeah, I, how I got up there, I have no idea because his guitar tech and all the managers, they said, he never does that. I've never oh. seen it. <laughs> and I've also heard people that day say, he's never let anyone play that guitar. So I don't know if he was just feeling charitable or not, but I'll take it. That was such a, a beautiful time. And he's such a, such an amazing guy. Yeah. So have you continued to see him? I'm assuming that wasn't the last time you went to a John Hyatt concert or. Oh no, I've seen him more than any other artist. Um, nice. It's, I've seen, uh, again, it's not as impressive as a lot of other John Hyatt fans I've talked to, but I think I've seen him about 14 or 15 times. Um, That's respectable. Think, yeah. At least yeah. twice a year since then, a couple of times with Lyle and a couple of times with the Goners and things like that. And I've gotten to talk with him once or twice after that as well on the bus. And every time he's just been really welcoming. Yeah. So, Has he ever offered advice on what oh, label you sure. should choose to, how you should work with a label? If I don't want to invade either your privacy or John's, but any pearls of wisdom that he passed on to you that you were willing to share beyond, I would appreciate hearing. Yeah, uh, we didn't talk too much about labels because at the time I was a little young for uh, that. Thinking about that. Horizon, but his main advice was always just keep with it. And if you don't like the song, just rewrite it. Yeah, that is <laughs> good I, advice. It's been yeah. pretty universal from every songwriter I've, I've been lucky enough to talk to. And, and, and they're certainly right. Yeah. So... Let's flip to Bruce for a minute. How many times have you seen Bruce perform live? Oh, gosh. I don't know the one off the top of my head as well, but let's see. I saw him once at MetLife, twice on Broadway. Oh, you got to see him on Broadway. Yeah, that, I saw the first run and the second run of that, which nice. was incredible. And I was then, uh, really jealous. My hope was, I saw it on the first one, and I was thrilled. And my hope was... Don't change it. Don't change it. Don't change it on the second one, right? Because that way I don't want to be. And I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on seeing him on Broadway? It was such a masterclass on 
speaking everything really yeah that, that he did I, I think he just did so well and it was in such a different light than we'd seen him I think that was really special too really I, I, it was it, obviously it's unlike any concert you've seen but especially Bruce who is back flipping across the stage for 50 years for 12 hours at a time seeing him stand yeah. in one place and really just connect I thought was really special but I, yes, I saw him twice on Broadway. I saw him once at the big Light of Day show they do every year. And then, so I guess one, two, three, four. Yeah. Once at the Barclays Center on this current tour where I I was out as an artist against hunger. He let Why Hunger come. And myself and some other people, Joe Durso and some others were out there collecting for Why Hunger. And he was nice enough to let us do that. And then nice. I saw him at Prudential Center. So I guess that's five. That's a, Yeah, that's I get that. Have you gotten a chance to meet him? I haven't met Bruce, no. Okay. No. I just got to start hanging out on the boardwalk a little more. Oh, yeah, Stan Goldsmith has been on the podcast a couple of times. He wrote a, a great book on the uh, touring the Rock and Roll Sh- Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. and he does tours of people that do it. And he, he said that this this week he was giving a tour and a Porsche drove by and he said, I think that is, and at the light, it was Bruce. It was Bruce and his Porsche. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, we, yeah, you just got to hang out that nice area. That's awesome. So, you're in the middle of college. So, you're just continuing to juggle your education and your music? Yeah. So far, so good. I, I, I enjoy both, and that's kept me doing it, but. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried my best. I came directly from class. And then when we're done here, I have an essay to write and then probably okay. a song to write. So I, I try to just stack them and alternate them. And yeah, get, really, I try to get my schoolwork done as efficiently and succinctly as possible. That way I can make some time because I think the music stuff for me, at least takes a little, it takes me longer to write a song than it would an essay. Yeah. We aren't going to keep you too much longer. No, uh, I, I am, I'm in no rush. No, no, I, now, I, now I'm feeling like a dad. You're <laughs> keeping him from his homework, Jesse. It's Zilman, not deep yeah, today. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm yeah, just trying Zilman, to get it done. <laughs> Zilman, do you have another question? I, we have a gazillion questions. And thank Me you too. so much for yeah. telling that story about John in more detail. But really, I'm fascinated by the fact that we are at least three generations here on this little Zoom call. And you have thrown out some terms that I'm honestly surprised hearing someone who was born after the millennium say like radio and album and so forth. Do you have peers of musicians of your own age? And are they thinking in those terms of actually putting sets of songs together in a package? Because I kind of thought that was becoming an extinct idea. I'm not sure. I, I, part of me thinks it's almost coming back around the other way, but okay. it, could just, it could just be the circles I'm in and around. I know a lot of really talented songwriters that are in the New York area here, and they're still very focused on albums and things like that. And even for me to put out, I'm putting out an EP in a couple months. We haven't confirmed a date for it yet, but we're looking at November. And that's going to be seven songs, and three of them are singles. It's interesting how that works and for down the line i wasn't really thinking about singles and things so so yeah how is a single defined in 2023 because it used to once upon a time it used to be that would be a song that you could actually buy in its own physical package and now you can buy any song in its individual package is that what 
you're going to be putting the most promotion behind or how does that work? Yeah, things, I think it can be done a little differently depending on when my situation, it's all based on streaming. If you go on my streaming, I've got three singles out on the new record. And then when we put out the EP, there will be a lead track off that EP. And then okay. in addition to that, three singles and, and, and four new songs. Okay, cool. So they will have their own individual. I could be saying this completely wrong because I'm not too versed in the distribution of everything. It'll be a separate, if you were to go to my Spotify right now, Brooklyn Can Wait is would be the, the top stream song. And then when we put out the record, there would be a second Brooklyn Can Wait on that. So the singles are just highlighted again based on how you put them out. But I think there are other ways to do it. That's just how we've chosen to. Okay. And would you mind telling us a little bit about the inspiration for Brooklyn Can Wait and how sure. that song came to be? Yeah, that song was really interesting. So I put out three singles with Golden Retriever. Uh, the first one was Ghosted Road. The second one was The Dreamer. And the third one was Brooklyn Can Wait. And The Dreamer is the oldest of all three of those songs. That was written, my album came out in twenty December 2020. And I basically didn't write for a month because I just didn't know what to do. And I was pissed mm-hmm. about it. So anyway, my response to that was writing The Dreamer uh, in, in the, like maybe January, February of 21. So that was the oldest. And then, and then Brooklyn is the is the newest by far I, we put it out in august and i wrote it and i think april or may and i wrote it really quick which is pretty rare for me um i had that it was a different feel completely when i wrote it on the piano and it was swung and a little more 70s sounding but i just had that those chords over and over again and and i just stream of conscious out whatever check the mail go outside was like the first thing that came to my head so i did a couple verses and a couple courses of that and I recorded it and then I listened to it and I wrote it down and I never added anything else to the song. I, I cut some things, my stream of consciousness, but what basically what you hear on that record is just what I thought of looking around. And I'm always very happy when that happens, but it's so rare. So Jake, I, I, you might get tired of answering this, but is it lyrics first? Is it the melody first? Is it sometimes both at the same time? Yeah, normally what I'll do is in a weird way, I'll, I'll do chords and then lyrics and then melody. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll get something going that I can, and I'm playing it. And then normally I'll just look around the room and the computer screen hits the wall. And now that's terrible. Okay. The, the wall has a shadow. No, that's been said. Whatever it is. And then once I get that, the, the syllables I like, usually it's simultaneously lyrics and melody. And then I go back and refine the melody. I'm not one of those people that is, is very good at writing lyrics first i for whatever reason i I always struggle i think my lyrics honestly may be better when i write them first because i'm I'm thinking about that exclusively but i always have trouble putting it to melody i have a song that i wrote on the plane ride back from nashville in the first week of august called you won't think about me long and i love those lyrics but i've yet to been able to be able to put them to a melody so one of these days and have you ever considered co-writing I have, yeah. I haven't done it too much up and up until this point, but it, it, it's something I'm interested in for sure, and it's something the label's interested in. Um, mm. And I'm I'm excited to do it because, like I said before, down the line is is 12 tracks that I probably wrote in four years, and then now I'm on a three album deal with them, so I got to be doing maybe 15 tracks so we can cut a couple and replace a couple every year. It's definitely a totally different thing, but I, I'm really enjoying the the process of writing a lot more, um, and I think co-writes is going to come in handy for sure. That's very good. Nice. Yeah, very nice. I'm curious, Sylvan talked a little bit about the business part of it. And you you seem to be driven more 
by the feelings of the songs than necessarily a a theme or a topic. So is that what I'm picking up from you? Like, you, I, you don't give, hey, I got my heart broken. I should write a song about it. It is this feeling, this music is feeling to me. I like how this is going now that I'll put the lyrics with it. Is that what you're saying you're working on? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple ways to approach it. I think some songwriters write because they really need to get something out of them. It's their way of expression for their emotions. And I think some songwriters write just because they they really enjoy the creative aspect. And of course, these things blend all the time, but absolutely polar generalizations uh, because they just like to write stories and everything. And I think I'm a little bit more at this point in my life, at least the latter. I, I just I really enjoy the creativity of writing and you know, I keep a note on my phone of just interesting things that people have said, and then I write it down. And if it works, and that's always what I go back to. I think, I think there's certainly like a, a bit of something to be said about the fact that I've been really fortunate enough to have a pretty good life up to this point, and I'm yeah. really grateful for that. But it does present there's less issues. I think I feel like I need to address in songwriting. Um, Don't buy into that. John himself has said that is just a fiction that you have to suffer for the blues or you have to, it might be a little insincere coming from him seeing his life, but yeah, yeah. I think a a happy adjusted person can write a heartbreaking song just as well as someone who has lived it personally. Yeah. And (laughs) I think it's interesting too, as I, my latest Jake musical obsession is Jason Isbell. And Mm -hmm. so in fact, I got his 10th anniversary of Southeastern. You can't tell because I've got the blur, but, and he talks about that. He does the same thing. He keeps track of phrases he hears and he jots them down. And that may end up being a song just because he enters that phrase. But the other thing he says that is, and we talk a lot about that on a perfectly good podcast is when you're a songwriter, your audience thinks every song's about you. And it's mm-hmm. like sometimes, no, I'm just telling a story. <laughs> I, King of Oklahoma on his new album is about a someone who's addicted to pain pills, Oxy, that lives in Oklahoma. That's not me, but that's the song he was writing. So that's good. Um, you talked about doing a lot of things because that's what's next. I've learned how to play guitar. Guitar players play in front of people. People who play in front of people write songs do you have a plan on what you want to do next is there do you have ambitions or things that are in the back of your mind that i want to play these kind of gigs i want to do these kind of things and i'm sure as a kid in college you've never been asked that kind of question before exactly so, yes. yeah yeah this where do fun. you see where do you see yourself in five years mr thistle yeah <laughs> it's funny i i definitely do and i'm really excited about what's to come I, it's a little more difficult, I think, these days than it was when I was nine to say, okay, like back then it was really easy to say, I'm a guitar player, so I play gigs. Yeah. <laughs> now it's okay, I'm a guitar player. Some of them sell out MetLife, some of them yeah. sell out the SOPAC, and some of them don't leave their house. And like, yeah. where do I fit into that? So I think that it's really deciding. Again, that's not a dec- it, it's no one's decision on whether or not they fit into MetLife or fit into a coffee shop. I I think obviously the world decides that for you. So I think these days it's always just a matter of just deciding what I would, where do I want to fit in? Why? 
how, you know, and how am I going to make that happen? A lot of it now is just, especially now that I'm signed with the label and, and in a lot of aspects, everybody there knows what they're doing a lot more than me in terms of the marketing and the business and yeah. everything like that, that I just strap myself in, hope for the best and just keep writing, practicing as much as I can and seeing where that lands me. I think a lot of people have done that and sometimes it works out great and sometimes it doesn't, but I think that could be said about a lot of things. So I'll, I'll tell another Penn Gillette story because I think this is funny. People will come up to him, came up to him when him and Teller got on Broadway the first time. And they said, this must've been a dream of yours to be on Broadway. And he goes, no, <laughs> I appreciate it. You must've, this must be a dream to you to headline a show in Vegas. No, he said, Teller and I just wanted to perform magic and make a living yeah. at it. That was the height of our ambition. We just loved performing magic and creating new tricks and doing new things. So I think there's a lot to be said for, I just like making music and wherever it takes me. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of what happens in my life, whether I end up using a degree and being a journalist or something, I, I think that certainly I know how my weekends will be spent. And, and I'm okay with that as well. I just, it, it's something I've always enjoyed. And so I never really entered into anything with grand expectations. I just, I'd like to do it as long as I can. And so far I've been lucky enough that it, it's been going on 11 years, which is now two years longer than I haven't played, which is yeah. an interesting milestone. And so if that 11 years turns into 12, that's great. If it turns into 48, 60, 80, whatever it is, I'll be happy. And, and, and I've just been really enjoying myself. And so I'm going to just keep enjoying myself as long as I can. Absolutely. All right. Sylvan, any last questions for Go to the Mary question? I feel self-conscious because of the questions that just came before this, but I was curious if there is a dream venue that in all your imaginings that there's a stage or a hall that just really sounds lovely to you and you want to be up there, if there's any place that you would love to play. Yeah, I have a lot. I think I have a lot of dream venues that vary in how real they are. So okay. I, I will cheaply answer your question first by saying the ones everybody says, and I'll say the garden, but uh -huh. you know, more realistically, and again, not very realistic. It's just, I, I've, I've been fortunate to see a couple of really great concerts at Webster Hall and my proximity to New York. And I think that'd be a really cool place to play. Red Rock in Colorado. Such a, yeah, I've, I've that's my dream is just to go there one day. I don't, I don't care if I'm buying a ticket or uh, on the stage. I just want to see that place. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've seen four. And then in terms of just loving the way it sounds and looks and, and, and things that come around it, I, I've seen four shows at the Beacon Theater. Just love that place. I have only seen one show at the Beacon, but my, does that live up to its legendary status? And I, if you're there, I am there, Jake. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> As someone who is a massive Tom Petty, John Hyatt, Bruce Springsteen fan, the first time you played the Stone Pony, was that a little bit of a, I can't believe I'm playing at the Stone Pony. Yeah, it was really cool. I worked my way up because the first time I played there, it was on a, like a small stage to the left of the stage while they changed out the bands. And, and that was like my way of saying, like, okay, cool. I got my picture. I can say I played it. And I was very young at the time too. So it was just like, that's like, all right, I can check that off. And then moving over and playing the, the bigger stage is always really cool too. And, and all those places. Asbury has such an interesting scene and, and such a great scene. And, and they have so many really amazing places to play.
if you can put it on your radar, this is a just shameless plug and self-interest in my part, but there's a great little music festival that I've talked about called the Keen Music Festival. And it's artists of all different stages in their careers. But what I love about it is everyone who goes is really a music fan and there's such a community about it. So if you are free next Labor Day weekend and want to come up to New Hampshire, I, I would just suggest that you throw your hat in the ring for the Keen Music Fest. And it's not that far from Jersey's. Yeah, sounds great. I believe meaning that we as in my label and myself, we've been meaning to get up there anyway. So please email me that because we'll take anything. And, and that sounds like a really cool thing. All right, we'll do. Yeah, and I'm crossing my fingers that with the label, you get to come down to Texas and enjoy some Southern hospitality. And the Tex-Mex is on me, if that happens. Thank you. Any final thoughts, Sylvan, before we go to the Mary question to ask our wonderful guest? Jake to say, was there anything that we haven't asked you that we should have? No, I think you guys did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I appreciate it. We definitely want you to come back when you're promoting the new EP. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we, yeah we want to come back. All right. So and any John Hyatt song that you want yes. to talk about, come and join us on the Perfectly Good Podcast yes. to really dig into one. Yeah, Sounds that'd be great. great. All right. Nice so I end, we end every podcast on Set Listening Bruce with the Mary question. Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher that is now retired. But when he was teaching, he would give his high school seniors the lyrics to Thunder Road. Mm -hmm. And they would read it as if it was a poem. And then they would discuss it. They would talk about the imagery, the word choices. And then he'd ask the class at the end of the of the session, does Mary get in the car? Jake, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I, th I like to think yes. Okay. Um, and not just because I, I'm an optimist, but I always like to think of it in terms of that's such a, that song is, is just such a beacon of, kind of coming of age, young, summer, love, everything like that. I think only naturally people like to see happy kids. So okay. I think he knew that. And I think I've always pictured her going in the car. And then I think in a more grander scheme of things, we it's a whole other debate to decide if Mary is always Mary, the same Mary. Mm -hmm. right. songs. But he certainly talked about Mary before. So if he's seeing Mary in the garden 30 years later, I think she went in the car. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. One of my favorite answers is someone said that that Mary got in the car, they drove to California, and Moonlight Motel is him mourning her death because oh, wow. they spent their life together. Wow. Which that hits. Yeah. That hits. Yeah, that, wow. that works. That's it. All that's right. That's one Jim. of my favorite songs of his, Moonlight Motel. Oh. Western Stars in general is is an all-time album for me. Oh, I just I I we went and saw the film. I love the the album. I love the film. I love the live CD. And my wife, when we were watching the film, reached over and said, you're really jealous of everyone in that barn, aren't you? And I go, yes, yeah. I am. <laughs> I would have loved to see that live experience. Jake, this is amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome anytime. I will agree with Sylvan. Pick any John Hyatt song and we will have you on as we rate it and debate it. If someone wants to reach out to you and hear more of your music, how can they? Absolutely. I am I am Jake Thistle, and my website is jakethistle.com. That has links to all the socials and contact me. And 
my events page and it's basically the the, the nucleus of jake thistle is jake thistle.com <laughs> well done very nice <laughs> thank you so much any final thoughts before we get out of here i i just really appreciate it I, i've always learned so much by by discussing and, and and talking about great songwriters and i it's really hard to pick a better pair than springsteen and hyatt so i appreciate I... you pairing them together Thank you. We are thrilled. Uh, this is great. Sylvan, thank you for hanging out with me and having fun. Thank you for letting me step over to the other podcast. And yeah. Jake, again, it it was even better than I could have expected meeting you. And it's it's so great that we've been able to see so much of your musical journey. And I just can't wait to see what's next. Thank yeah, you so I, much, guys. Yeah, I, I want to echo that, Jake. I just think it's amazing. I love going over to the YouTube channel and seeing, oh, and oh, wow, I can't believe he's covering this. Oh, what a great job. And so keep it up. And we are excited about the new EP. I, I can't wait to help promote it. We can't wait to see it. And uh, yeah, Sylvan is a little closer than I am to hopefully see you live, <laughs> but we'll work on getting you down here to Texas. Okay. Yes. All right. So thank you, Jake. Of we course. appreciate you, it. Yes. Everyone go to the website, check it out. For now, we're going to say be kind, be safe, and have a little faith. Have a little faith. Have a little faith. This is one called Brooklyn Can Wait. Check the mail, go outside As your package arrived New water and a clean set of eyes Trying to give love one more try Make sure you're there to sign The postman always rings twice You can reinvent yourself in the city Watch the sunrise on our eyes Cause you stayed up that way Let all the strangers call you pretty Don't get old quick Brooklyn we can wait Brooklyn we can wait yeah. Watch the window in the rain See you reflecting on the plane Imagine the water drops race Right down the glass make their escape You must be jealous but hey Will you stand out there on the sea achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. 
the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.